Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, nonstop sports talk continues with news and analysis from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. Not the hero we deserve, but the hero we need. This is the Big Six. It's going to be you. With your host, Jason Martin. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Straight up 6 o'clock on a Wednesday means only one thing. Just like it does every day. It means the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Week number two, show number six of the Big Six. I'm Jason Martin at jmartzone on Twitter. You can follow me there. You can find me on the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. Add that to your bookmarks. I'll have something new up there tomorrow, maybe later tonight. A couple of reviews coming as well. We'll talk some pop culture at the end of this program. Yesterday, I felt a little bit like an old man. I was... Definitely a little ornery. I upset a visor wearer out there in the audience that called up and said I made a broad generalization and he won't be listening anymore. want to go ahead and welcome that guy into the audience today because there's no doubt in my mind that he is listening right now. Told you, and I will tell you this every day, off the top, I will not waste your time. That's the goal of this show. Thus, we get to the top story. I teased this on 3HL about five minutes ago, having a good time being in this building and around all those guys again. Andy Benoit. I don't know if he's Benoit. I don't know if he's Benoit. I'm not sure that me looking up his name or finding out what the pronunciation is is worth it after reading his latest from the MMQB. Peter King left the MMQB. Uh, I think it was actually announced earlier today his new column will be called Football Morning in America. That's clever for NBC. But there are other people on that website, other scribes, that usually churn out some really good work. I use the term usually because I made the mistake today of reading this article about why the NFL game is so far superior to college football. First off, that's false on the face of it, at least if you're talking about entertainment. College football, without doubt, is infinitely more fun and exciting than the NFL game, largely because of the unpredictable nature of everything that goes into it. These are younger kids still growing into their skills, still growing into their bodies. And these guys sometimes do things that boggle the mind in both a positive and negative direction. All the craziness we've seen on special teams through the years, kicking issues. Now that happens in the NFL, but nowhere near the level we see in college football. College football is just flat out wild, and it's insane. The NFL, on the other hand, is nicknamed the No Fun League for a reason. It's stilted. A lot of the crowds, except for a very few select markets, are quiet in comparison to anything you're going to see at a major college football game. The rules are obnoxious, and a lot of the games are 21-17. Now, I love the NFL. I sound like I don't. I love the NFL. It's okay to like both. And I'm aware that the football itself is more skilled, and the on-field technique is far better. I'll go ahead and throw that out there right now. I'm well aware of it, as a matter of fact. And to that argument, I simply tell you, if that's your argument... 
I don't care. I watch sports to be entertained. College football appears to be in that business much more, much more consistently than the NFL. The fight songs, the atmosphere, the tailgates, the spread offenses, the bone, the option, all of it just works. And while NFL ratings are sitting there tumbling left and right over the past two seasons for whatever reason that you want to throw out there for it, I don't want to get into that today, college football numbers are way up. And it literally pains me that Ed O'Bannon has cost me my EA Sports NCAA football game, which I would gladly give my right arm right now to get back into my life. Now, I'm going to go ahead and open up, the, open up the phone lines before I take this article apart because NFL versus college usually does bring out people on both sides. And if you can make a coherent argument for the NFL and get me off that college beat, off that college ledge, bring it. 615-737-1045. But let's be real. College football is superb. I make the comparison between, let's say you're seeing your favorite band at the Ryman Auditorium or you're going to see them at Bridgestone. Yeah, there's no question there's more money at the Stone, but there's also luxury boxes at the Stone. There's a more professional feel to the proceedings. There's a less open feel to the proceedings as well. I don't need the polish. I need the emotion. I'd always rather go to the Mother Church than see any music act in Bridgestone. Tell me you wouldn't. So back to this article that Andy Ben, I'm going to call him Benoit, writes at MMQB that comes out entitled, NFL and college football are not the same game. First off, tell me more, Andy. That's very insightful. Great title. I wish to subscribe to your newsletter for more analysis of this type. He writes, and I quote, many people equate the two in part because to viewers, the FBS college game looks like the pro game. Both take place in large stadiums under bright lights with players in shiny uniforms broadcast to a national television audience. Such illustrious presentations make it easy to forget that the NFL is comprised of the top 2% of FBS players. The NCAA estimates that 1.6% of draft-eligible college players are actually drafted each year. Thoroughly dig that update, AB. That stat that it's really hard to make it to the pros. We had no idea that while we're watching Arkansas A&M play Southwest Montana Tech, the vast majority of those guys are not going to be picked up by an NFL club. Back to the article. I realize many fans watch football mainly for that glitzy presentation. They love the pageantry of football, the tradition, the sense of community. Those people say that in this regard, college beats pro. To those people, I say, you're right. In fact, it's really not that close. But there are those of us who like football's pageantry but love its strategy. We see the game as a chess match, only where everyone's pieces are not the same. Those pieces are not confined to individual squares. They move not one at a time, but all at once, and that movement usually doesn't stop until someone scores or gets hit. From a strategic entertainment standpoint, pro football annihilates college football. Here are the biggest reasons why. So right here, in my opinion, he's already lost the debate. And I see calls are already rolling in. I knew this would happen. So Jordan, Derek, Paul, hang with us. We will get to you. If you want to join them, 615-737-1045. Andy says many fans watch football for glitzy presentation and pageantry and tradition and sense of community, then admits college crushes the NFL in those areas. He's right about that. But again, folks, sports is entertainment. What's more important so why we're paid to talk about this stuff? Like, what is the most important thing? Why is it the subject of so much barbershop and water cooler and bar conversation? 
It's that it's fun to talk about. It's fun to debate for a living. It's ingrained in the community. The tradition takes us back to our childhoods or maybe where we went to college or whatever it is. But then he decides he wants to go football elitist like he's wearing some kind of a vest and a five-piece suit that says, there are those of us who like football's pageantry but love its strategy. We see the game as a chess match. I'd rather watch Wild and Wooly, and you are looking live, and welcome to the SEC on CBS, than I would the Spassky-Bishop block we saw Zach Morris use in that weird screech with somehow a superstar chess player and the front of some chess magazine episode of Saved by the Bell. And that was Chess Boy magazine, by the way. Going the some of us are intelligent about the football viewing we take part in route doesn't work for me. But here are the reasons he lays out. One, career lengths. One to four years in college, just enough time to get to know somebody and know how they operate, and then they're gone. A quality NFL starter is there eight to ten years, he argues. So it's like a long-running TV series where you know the characters. Okay, fair enough. But we never expected to see Coach Eric Taylor traded from Friday Night Lights to The Walking Dead. It's not like these guys stay in the same place in most cases. Yeah, they're there longer, barring injury or whatever else might happen. But the days of the guys that are playing their entire career in one place or even two places seem to be few and far between. But I'll give him a little bit on that. Number two, number of teams. 32 in the NFL. And again, this sounds so elitist and annoying. Carefully set into eight even divisions. Reading this takes all the fun out of it. It's taking sports and it's reducing it to something again where you need a vest. You need a British Masterpiece Theater introduction to this article and to all these reasons. There's 129 teams in FBS and 130 if you count Liberty. A bunch of conferences, some independents, impossible to keep up with it all so the committees and voters can then never make fully educated decisions. Again, college is stupid. NFL is educated. Yes, the debates every year, Andy, first for the BCS and now the Final Four in college football can be really annoying, but they're also really fun. Sports is all about bloviation, and I like how weird college football can sometimes be and how many arguments you can get into and breaking it all down. I like it. We can expand the playoffs, but number of teams is not a particularly great argument. Number three, number of players on a roster. NFL has 53 with 46 active each Sunday, but in college, <gasps> rosters in the triple digits, and they don't even have unique uniform numbers. Oh, the humanity of it all. It's a wonder, he writes, they don't spill into the marching band. That's his entire argument, by the way. Doesn't really go into any more detail about why the NFL rosters are better, just that they don't have unique uniform numbers. And he has a real fascination with jersey numbers. Number four is jersey numbers. Here's where he jumps the shark completely. Quote, in the NFL, they mean something. Numbers in the 20s, 30s, and 40s are running backs and DBs. 60s and 70s are guys in the trenches. Teens and 80s are wide receivers. This continuity tells a story. You can glimpse the field and quickly surmise what's happening. He goes on to say it streamlines vital processes, leaving more time for strategizing. And then says in college, jersey numbers are random. It's chaos. And then he makes the argument and the analogy that it's like a noisy classroom. What? I don't even need to argue against this. I have no idea what he's talking about. Number five, college games are too long. Unbearably long, he says. Okay, I'll give him that. But it doesn't feel as long to me because I actually care about it so much more on a regular basis. 
It is too long. Get rid of the band performances. I agree with my former employer. Keep the clock running more often. Okay, Andy, you're right for the most part based on what I just said, not that you said any of that because you didn't lay out any of those arguments. You just said it's long. Number six, if you can believe this, is feet inbounds for a catch. In the NFL, it's two feet, which makes sense. In college, it's one, which doesn't. Andy, Boopy, Peaches, do I really need to argue with you that defending the NFL catch procedure over college is not the hill that I would try to die on? The NFL catch is one of the most undefinable things in all of sports this decade. So if it's me, I'd have left that one off my list. Number seven, total disagreement here, overtime format. He says this one really doesn't need explaining, does it? In NFL, you keep playing football. In college, you play red zone ball. Right, Andy, and both teams get an opportunity equally in that red zone ball, regardless of the coin toss. If you play D and get it and score, you win. That's what happens in the NFL. But if you can't play D as well and you give up a touchdown, you lose without a chance to equal that touchdown on offense. I'm taking college OT all day. And then what he calls his granddaddy issue, number eight, width of the field. He admits they're both 53 and a third yards wide, but the NFL hash marks are exactly 18 feet, six inches apart. In college, they're 40 feet apart. That means the pro game always happens near the center of the field, which makes for a, quote, crisp, tight game with balance, unquote. College, on the other hand, is loose and sloppy. He compares the NFL game to a typed manuscript and college to a fourth grader's written notebook. Formations can cause in college indefensible amounts of space on one side of the field because of where play begins, allowing for such unelite football such as the spread. Because of the hash marks, he writes, this is straight off his piece, pro football comes down to men battling men. College football comes down to men battling men and space. And that's literally the end of his piece. First off, Andy, if the NFL is a typed manuscript and college football is a fourth grader's notebook, your article looks like something written in crayon by a five-year-old on the side of Clark Griswold's wood-paneled station wagon. To me. And then there's the kicker. I neglected to read the first sentence of this article. That's a tease, folks. We got four lines lit. I see Jordan. I see Paul. I see Bill. I see Derek. Hang on. We'll get to your phone calls on the other side. What do you prefer, NFL or college? When I read the first sentence of this article to you, your eyes are going to roll into the back of your head as if you were the undertaker in 1991 WWF. Stick with me. This is a big six on 104.5 The Zone. So... It's the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Playing DJ as always, Cage the Elephant. Bowling Green Zone. Soft spot in my heart for those guys. They have made it huge. And they've done a good job in the community up in Kentucky as well. That's Crybaby off their newest record. Just listen to it all day. What I don't want to do is read any more from Andy Benoit's article. I pretty much gave you most of it. I know we've got calls. We're going to get to them in one second. But I told you before the break that I neglected intentionally to read the first sentence of this wonderful piece of journalism that our boy Andy has laid out for us at MMQB as to why the pro game is so far superior to the college game. And when I read this, your eyes are going to fall out of your head. 
and you're going to need to duct tape them back in place. He writes this, quote, For the past six years, I this is the beginning of the article again. For the past six years, I have watched almost every NFL game, and aside from a few pre-draft projects, zero college football games. This is partly because covering the NFL is my job, but mostly because I enjoy pro football infinitely, infinitely more than college. To me, comparing college to pro is like comparing a small-town community theater to Broadway. Unquote from Andy Benoit. That's the first paragraph of this article, which he then goes into great detail about specific reasons why the NFL is much better than college football. Let me read that first sentence to you one more time. For the past six years, I have watched almost every NFL game and aside from a few pre-draft projects, zero college football games. So he's going to be the guy that I'm going to listen to that's going to tell me why the NFL game in 2018 is better than the college game when he readily admits to begin his article comparing the two that he only watches one. I don't know that I really need to say more. Based on the fact that he just admitted he hasn't watched a college football game in six years and gorges on the NFL. Him writing this article and comparing those two things at all is the equivalent of me comparing him to Hunter S. Thompson. Or better yet, comparing him to a tilt-a-whirl ride or a flower bed. Because there's no sense in the comparison and it fails on basic logic because you admit that you don't even watch one of the two things that you're comparing. The website is called MMQB. Perhaps, back on Monday... Whatever editor it is that plays quarterback for your team should have audibled off this one or at least assigned it to somebody with actual knowledge or depth of both products. And then one other point, and then we'll get to these phone calls. I know I've done this. I'll admit it, especially back in school. But have you ever written something and gotten near the end and realized all of a sudden to yourself, oh, no, this is not good. This is refuse. This is trash. I have just written 10 pages of garbage. But by that point, you also realize you're pot committed. You don't have time to rewrite it, nor do you want to rewrite it, and you just have to see it through, get decimated with that river card. What we just went over in that last segment and what I just laid out to you, that's what that was. At least I hope so. Dude had a straight draw, got nothing on the turn, had no outs left, already got the short stack, so he stays in. This man is arguing NFL strategy trumps NCAA excitement. Andy, we're talking about entertainment. We're not talking about calculus. I love them both. But when I'm talking about entertainment, when you lay out the fact that all the things that make college football entertaining are clearly better in college than they are in NFL, and then say, but some of us like the chess match, I'm saying you probably don't write that article. I'm saying that article's terrible. Jordan and Jackson up with us first. Jordan, how are you? Jordan, you with us? Yes. All right, go ahead. Uh, yes, I love these great debates that y'all have on the radio show. Uh, it's really good. Um, I, I watch college and NFL every weekend, just a football junkie. But I prefer the pros over college football, and I have two points. Okay. And my first point is the cupcake games. 
I don't like seeing Bama blowing out Mercer 56 to nothing last year. I mean, it's over before it even starts. And who won't really wants to see that? I mean, is that entertaining to watch all four quarters of Bama blowing out an inferior opponent? And then the second is the length. You know, the clock stops after every first down. Sure. So these games could be four hours plus. Mm-hmm. So I think they have to find a way to speed up these games. I'm not against the second point, certainly at all. I do think college football games are too long. But I'm usually having a lot of fun. I'm around more people having fun. Seems like the atmosphere is better. The engagement on Twitter and social media seems to be a lot more sort of open and inviting. And usually when you're watching college football, there are so many other games to choose from. The NFL, because of the way it does its TV and the way that everything is scheduled, I can watch the red zone if I want to. But if I'm watching one game only, I don't have as much to turn to. When it's the afternoon slate of college football, I got seven or eight channels at least that I can go to to watch other stuff. And usually if I'm settling in for college football, I'm going to be there all day. Derek in Nashville's up next. Derek, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Doing well, sir. Yeah, so uh, I would say the pros have a lot going for me, mainly just because of uh, fantasy football and okay. you know, DraftKings, all that, You because know, I can watch any team randomly and be involved in it. Because usually I wouldn't watch you know, like Detroit or Minnesota play week two. I wouldn't care. But if I have players on it, you know, I'm watching that. I got three TVs going on a Sunday watching all that. But I can't deny that the hype is a lot better in college. But Which one do you have more I- fun watching, Derek? Like I know the fantasy argument. The fantasy argument's really good. I mean, fantasy has changed the game. It's led to us getting the Red Zone channel and caring about guys that are outside the market. I get all that. But if you're going to sit down and watch a game purely to be entertained and just have a good time, which one are you going to choose? Well, due to my work schedule, it's, it seems like I'm only watching pros, but I would say college is way more exciting when, when two decent teams are playing. But, yeah, I don't, I don't like when they're playing the no-name teams. Yeah, I mean, agreed. And, agreed. Yeah, I mean, if you're playing a scrub, that's, that's never going to be particularly grand. But I do think that any kind of high-end college football matchup, to me, there's just a level of excitement and intrigue in that that you just don't seem to get very much in the NFL. But some interesting arguments being made so far. Paul in Nashville is up next. Paul, what is up? Hey, hey there. I own a marketing agency, and we study the heartland, the middle of America. Right. 60% of consumers live in the middle. We've done two different studies, and college football is preferred two to one over pro football. It's a preference. So, But that's why they make chocolate and vanilla, right? So you, you can like whichever one and, and call out the attributes that you prefer. But with multi-generational passion and connections to college is just more deeply rooted for the most part and more preferred two to one hands down. So is there like so, what, is there something facts. in the study like uh, like reasoning behind that or is that just the stuff you laid out or is there more reasons why did they go into specifics as to why it's two to one in favor of college? There was there was no rationale okay. really the question was what do you prefer college or pro? And it was very very cut and dry two different studies two to one general preference is college over pro. That doesn't mean you don't watch pro. Well, you, you said know, chocolate love, and I vanilla. I like both those flavors of ice cream. Thank it's okay you. to it's okay to like both. I just think that this particular article laying it out like college is just this inferior thing that I wouldn't lower myself to watch makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. That's lame and that's an opinion. So if you, if you couch it as an opinion, that's one thing. When you say one is better than the other, then you're you're wrong. Okay. All right, Paul. I appreciate that. I know we got some more calls coming in. We got Thomas and Bill on the line as well. 
We're going to go ahead and get to a break here first, and we'll come back and we'll take those calls. Also, coming up, big six list tonight, the six most overrated people in sports, according to yours truly. I'm at Jmart Zone. We'll be back here in a moment, right here on 104.5 The Zone. Big six, 104.5 The Zone. Boy, I'm glad I got that right. When I submitted the music, I was like, let's make sure this is the instrumental version of nothing but a G thing. Still probably my favorite hip-hop beat ever. Also, fun fact, eighth grade class, as we were going on to high school in North Carolina, it was our class song. I don't think the parents knew what it was all about, but I digress. I'm Jason Martin at J Mart Zone. This is a big six. We're on 6 p.m. every day following 3HL. Talking about this Andy Benoit article, which is saying a pro football so far superior to college football and I got Brandon Hagney, my good buddy, sending me various things that Andy Benoit has said in the past and written in the past. One, he's a weird dude that has a fixation on milk, like drinking milk, and also seems to be somebody that really doesn't like anything about new football. One thing I didn't mention that he wrote about in that article was how because of where the hash marks are, the pocket passer is is so much more important than any other way, which kind of cuts down on spread and cuts down on option and cuts down on the potential to be able to do any of those kinds of things. So, yeah, dude looks like he's straight out of about 1930, should have been an extra in George Clooney's Leatherheads. Did you see that movie? I didn't. Sean in Dixon is next. Sean, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing good, bud. Uh, to me, I prefer meets on equal ground. Uh, there's... Both of them offer one thing, one or another thing that the other one doesn't. I definitely like the pageantry and the passion that comes with college football. And then also the better technique that comes with pro football. The only thing I can see that the pros beat the college game out on is that every season each team starts off 0-0 zero and zero and has an equal shot at getting to that Super Bowl. But in college, if you're not ranked in the top 25, it is even harder for a team to get up there to actually compete for a playoff spot. Whenever you look at a team like UCF uh, sure. from last year that went undefeated and still doesn't get a chance to get in there, that's the only that's the only flaw I see in the college game is that not every team actually has that equal shot to get up there. Sean, that's actually a really good point. And the one thing I would suggest to you about the pro versus football argument is there are very good arguments that you can make, as you just did, about why the pro football game could be preferred over the college game. My biggest issue with this article is that he doesn't lay any of them out. Like, even the stuff he lays out is not good. And the fact that he admits that the college game is something he hasn't watched in six years, to me, makes him completely non-credible. One more call, and then we'll get to this big six list of most overrated people in sports. And hey, 615-737-1045, if you want to have your say they say there, or you can uh, tweet me at jmartzone. Bill in Lebanon. Bill, what's up? Hey, not much. What you got for me? I agree with you. I think the fact he hasn't watched any games makes him, you know, not credible at all. Um, but, you know, I do prefer the pros Why? over college. I love both uh, Gino Toretta, Tim Tebow, Troy Smith. The list goes on and sure. on of all these Heisman guys that were the absolute best in college but can't, but can't play in the NFL. Uh, their game does not translate, uh, whether it's they're too slow or can't throw it in a tight window or whatever. They can't, it does not translate to the pro game. 
And I just think you're talking about 30, 35-year-old men versus 20-year-old boys. Just the maturity, the skill, I do think it is much superior in the NFL. Okay. All right, Bill. And that's fair. And look, I'm not saying it's not a better game if you just want to talk about it from a skill perspective or a maturity standpoint. I believe that the immaturity and just the what's going to happen next idea that you get so often in college football makes it so much more entertaining. Even the blowouts, like, I mean, the blowouts are going to happen. You're going to see some of that in the NFL, too. There are some bad teams in the NFL also, certainly not to the degree of the cupcake schedule you get, and that's annoying. But when you get two top-flight college football teams playing, to me, there's absolutely nothing better in sports than that. All right, tonight's big six list. Yesterday, I talked about is fun overrated because the idea that Bryce Harper is playing better now because he's having fun. And I argued, no, he's having fun because he's playing better now. And that makes him looser. Dwight Howard had a lot of fun when he was winning in Orlando. Nobody talks about him being too fun-loving these days as he's getting shipped from team to team to team across the NBA. Most overrated people in sports. And I do have a number one, which will be the big six, and then the other five in no particular order. I've already talked about this guy once, but number one is Paul George. I went over it last week. I'll lay it out for you again. He's got a ton of talent, and he wants to think of himself as a killer, but he's more of a wasp sting to somebody without an allergy than a bee sting to somebody that does have an allergy that's going to lead him into shock. When you watch PG-13 play basketball in non-pressure situations, he's impressive, but when you need him to go out and win a game, or keep you in a game with a clutch shot when you're down for it. Actually, let me stop and explain that for you. Isaiah Thomas once was talking about why he thought Reggie Miller was so special. Reggie could make the game winner. Sure, we saw what he did against the Knicks and and many other things he did in his career. But what he did so often that most guys simply just don't have in their skill set is to stop a run. Isaiah always talked about he's out there, the Pacers are up a couple, Then they deal with a run from the opponent, and they're down seven. Reggie Miller is the guy that goes out there and buries the three that brings them back to within four, that stops the bleeding, that stops the run, that keeps his team in the game. That, to Isaiah, is more valuable and more rare than the guy that makes the game winner. That is not Paul George. Guess what? Neither is the guy that shoots the game winner. He's got a ton of talent. He seems to be a really good guy, but he's not a championship player, at least not yet. Maybe he can prove me wrong. I'd love for him to. But I didn't understand the hype last offseason when Jimmy Butler was seen as inferior to him, and already that's been proven to be anything but the truth. I definitely don't get all the hype now. You can be, And and in this list, you're going to note this. You can still be good and still be overrated based on your value and how much ink is being spilled talking about you. This is how I put it last week. PG-13 really needs an R-rated mentality mentality to actually win in this NBA. He needs to be Kobe Bryant. But that PG-13 nickname matches his PG-13 level game and his PG-13 level reputation. That's first. Number two, Jim Harbaugh. How relevant has Michigan really been in the era of pleated khakis and Dockers? The Harbaugh record is 28-11 and 11 with the maize and blue. There's no doubt he was great at Stanford, but David Shaw has been pretty great at Stanford as well. 28-11 and 11 at Michigan should not be leading to somersaults in Ann Arbor. 
he's lost three games, then he's lost three games, then he lost five games in his three seasons at the helm. That's a school that expects to be in the natty conversation every year, folks. And instead, it finds itself out of the Big Ten championship conversation year after year after year. Ohio State, that's the one you can't lose to if you're at Michigan. Michigan State, mm, shouldn't be losing to them either. Penn State, Wisconsin, all above Michigan in the conference pecking order when you look at success. For as much as is written about Jim Harbaugh and as many people are interested in what he's doing, he's been nothing more than average at best with what he's been given and the resources at his disposal. Number three is Kirk Cousins. 4,900 yards a few years ago, guided the skins to the playoffs the year before. 2016, remember week 17 against the Giants, cost his team a playoff spot with a really bad interception. He can throw it. He's confident. I love his attitude. But has he ever stepped up in the moment? He hasn't even had the moment yet to step up in. It was a pretty friendly offense in Washington despite some of the issues. And he could have benefited from that. He's not a scrub. I mean, he's thrown 99 touchdowns to 55 interceptions in his six-year career. About a 65% completion percentage. But now, in Minnesota, he's actually going to be expected to be the savior. Case Keenum played pretty darn well last year. Vikings didn't quite get to the Super Bowl with him. But how much better is Kirk Cousins than Case Keenum? Considering the money that he got. And then, how much better is he than the guy that replaced him in Washington and Alex Smith. Personally, if it's me, I want Alex Smith if I have the choice between the two. And how many more wins is Cousin going to be worth to Minnesota than Keenum? The Vikings' defense is what really wins them games, and they do have some great skill players in Thielen and Stephon Diggs, and we'll see what happens with Dalvin Cook if he's able to come back, and Murray is a solid back as well. But I don't know if that guy's the difference maker, his big-time salary, would indicate. So that's three of the six. The other three, including the big six, number one, and Tennessee fans, stick around. I think you're going to enjoy this. One more segment to go. Big six here on 104.5 The Zone. It's meat and bread. Final segment of the Big Six tonight. That's Band of Horses owed to LRC. I'll let you know every time we come back exactly what we're coming back with and why. Mainly, I think that intro to that song is awesome, but it's a great song to drive to. Check it out. We're doing the top six, the big six, most overrated figures in sports today. And we laid out three of them before the break. Jim Harbaugh, Paul George, and Kirk Cousins. And we continue, and we will get to the number six, which I think might bring applause from Knoxville. Let's go with John Wall at number four. He's a great player. He's also got problems with some teammates. See Marcin Gortat and that tweet that came out after a game in which John Wall went crazy and they win the game and Gortat goes to Twitter a little while later that night and says, great team win tonight and puts team win in parentheses. Those guys hated each other so much they had to get Gortat out of town during the offseason, which they've done. Bradley Beal, more important offensive weapon. He's the one that puts the fear in defenses most often. And that team, despite having all the talent in the world, even from Wall's own mouth, always seemed to be, and he said this just a few weeks back, one piece away. And this time he's taking another shot at another teammate, Otto Porter. He's got good handles, but he turns it over a lot. He is quick, and he's superb hitting guys for shots beyond the arc because he doesn't make many himself. 
his efficiency ratings are closer to Andrew Wiggins than they are a top-flight NBA player. When he was injured for part of this past year, the Wizards played more cohesive basketball, and reports came out that they were actually, uh uh-oh, having fun again, but they were winning games, so that's all right. Poor spot-up shooter, he's streaky. Playoff performances have been inconsistent. Despite how athletic he is, his defense has gone from pretty good to pretty below average. He's a really good player, but he has not really done much in the postseason. He's had a lot of flashy highlights, a dunk contest win, and a really bad dunk contest, and regular season wins, and that's about it. So I think he fits. I would have put James Harden here, honestly, but I saw a lot more that I liked about James Harden here in this last postseason. So I'll kind of let him off the hook and say John Wall, considering how much people seem to like him, he hadn't done a whole lot as of yet. Next up, another coach from college football. CBS did a poll last year of, I think it was one-fifth of the active college football coaches in FBS and asked who the most overrated and underrated guys are. Harbaugh was number one. I already mentioned him on the list. Then you got Saban, that's Hater. Lane Kiffin, because he's Lane Kiffin. Lovey Smith, probably just because he has the name Lovey Smith and hasn't done much at Illinois. Brian Kelly, okay. Will Muschamp was there. And then this guy, Tom Herman, is number five for me. Overrated does not mean untalented, but it does mean overhyped. Herman did a lot of good things at Houston. There's no question about that. He turned some stars out of that program, but he was the bell of the ball when vacancies were open prior to last season. In 2015, Houston goes 13-1, and and they beat Florida State 38-24 in the peach. That's pretty good. But the schedule that year that led to it, Tennessee Tech at Louisville. All right, solid win. Texas State, Tulsa, it's all right, SMU, Tulane, Central Florida, not this past year's Central Florida team, Vanderbilt, it's SEC, not exactly Alabama, but it's still a decent win. They escaped Cincinnati, they really escaped Memphis, then they lost to UConn and finished off with Navy and Temple. 13-1 and sounds a little better than it looks when you factor everything in. Now, he's done well, but at Texas last year, Still doesn't have, quote, his guys or his system fully instituted with the guys that can run it. He was 7-6. and six. Longhorns never reached higher in the AP poll than the 23 they had in the preseason. He won big in Houston, but we need to see if that hoopla was worth it now that the Texas fan base is who he has to impress. Look at Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart and what he did at VCU, and boy, that's a great tournament coach. Dude had Mo Bamba last year, and Texas was really not anything of note to pay attention to all year long. And then you see what we've seen from Mo Bamba in summer league and certainly what he was doing in his pre-draft workouts. And then you have to start to wonder why in the world they didn't win more. And now for number one, the big six. Vols fans applaud. John Gruden. You're shouting amen, but I beat this drum when I suggested on Twitter during the coaching search that Tennessee shouldn't even want this guy to begin with. And this is why I said so. He's incredibly overrated. Just because of this awesome football quarterback camp that he did on ESPN and the star power of being on Monday Night Football, people believe he was a -a one-of-a-kind head coach when he absolutely was not. Look back to Oakland. He did do good things. But when he wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay, he takes over for Tony Dungy, and he does not take over with a bare cupboard. He did make that team a little better. Looks like Tony Dungy, they had kind of tuned him out. He needed a change of scenery, which, of course, he would get. He takes a 9-7 and seven team, does Gruden, to 12-40, and 40, wins the Super Bowl over his former Raiders club. 
that was basically the only thing he did of note from that point forward. Seven and nine the next year. Then he goes, let's see, five and 11. Then he has 11 and five with another good year, loses in the first round of the playoffs. Four and 12 and a pair of nine and seven seasons, just like Dungy. Let me tell you what that adds up to. It adds up to 57 and 55 as the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Overall, as a coach, he's 95 and 81 as he enters this season. Why exactly did everybody in the world care so much about this dude leaving the booth and coming back to the league every year? Only because he was in the booth and he was all over TV. Certainly not because his record was all that outstanding. How about the fact that he's this offensive guru telling quarterbacks exactly what they should do? What did his offense actually do in Tampa Bay? How about this? In 2002, they were 24th in yards. They were 18th in points. Then he has a pretty good year. 10th in yards. Again, 18 in points. And then 22nd in yards. 23 in points. 23 in yards. 20 in points. 29 in yards. 31 in points. 18 in yards. 18 in points. 14 in yards. A little better in his final year. 19 in points. This this dude is not Lane Kiffin. He's not Scott Frost. He doesn't have some wonderful offense that we've never seen before that can't be stopped. I'm not suggesting he's a terrible coach. I'm suggesting he's an average coach that everybody seemed to be ready to just ditch their guy to try and get because he's been on TV. If that does not scream overrated to you, what does? Also, let's not forget this. He hasn't been on a sideline since 2008. The coverage he gets relative to what he's actually accomplished, folks, it's quite imbalanced. So from one to six, in no order except number one being John Gruden, Jim Harbaugh, Paul George, Kirk Cousins, Tom Herman, John Wall, and John Gruden, the six most overrated people in sports to me right now. That's your big six list. Again, Gruden just gets talked about like he's some kind of offensive savant and he's 57 and 55 in his time in Tampa Bay and just 14 games over 500 for his entire career. I just don't know that that screams that he deserves nearly the level of coverage that he has gotten. Bovada lines, by the way, came out on the likelihood of NFL teams to make the playoffs. The top six in order, Patriots minus 1,500, Steelers minus 550, Eagles minus 280, Vikings minus 250, Rams minus 190, Packers minus 180. And the Titans, if you're curious, also, well, they're further down. They're in 18th right now. I don't actually have the number in front of me, but they're 18th on the list, according to Bovada. That might be a little bit low. Maybe we'll talk about that on Friday when I'm back in here. Tomorrow night, there's going to be a truck race, so we won't be on, and we'll have a 30-minute show on Friday before that race takes place. Things that make you go, hmm, on the way out. Yesterday, I left you with an interesting stat about Kentucky and how Joker Phillips was run out of town with the worst defense that he coached in his time in Kentucky, giving up 391 yards on average per game. And Mark Stoops in his five seasons, his best defense gave up 394 yards. This one a little bit lighter fare. This feels like a Mickey Ryan's really going to appreciate me for laying this stat out. Major League Baseball umpires are required to wear black underwear while on the job just in case they split their pants. You learn something new every day. 
Global Golf Radio is next. Barney Allery. Hit me up at the Big Six blog, 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless and good night. Not